if you are located outside of the European Union, the United Kingdom and or Switzerland, then you need an authorized representative. So I have a good news, you have found it with Easy Medical Device. And if you are also in need of an importer in Europe and in Switzerland, then contact us definitely at info at easymedicaldevice.com. I-N-F-O at easymedicaldevice.com and I'm sure we can help you. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy Podcast. I am Munir Alazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standards today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Alazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today, we'll try to explain to you uh, how to do risk management, but specifically for software. So we'll try to explain to you how risk management for software is done. And for that, I have with me uh, a specialist of risks, which is Vijan Elai, uh, who is uh, calling us from the US, from uh, Florida. So uh, Vijan, welcome to the uh, Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Hello. Uh, thank you. Uh, glad to be here, Monir. Great. Thanks for for um, coming. Uh, I know that uh, yeah, you are really uh, doing a lot of things on risk management, uh, so it's mainly something uh, a big topic for for you. Uh, we talk also about uh, the book that you have also uh, written on that. So we'll talk about that uh, later. But first, maybe for people that don't know you, can you just make an introduction of yourself? Yes. Uh, as uh, my name is Bijan Elahi, uh, I uh, have been in the medical device industry for over 30 years. And uh, uh, before that, I worked at NASA and the space shuttle. So I started the space aerospace uh, business. And uh, uh, mostly I joined the medical device industry because aerospace was about 40 years ahead in terms okay. of experience if you wanted some help. Uh, I've been a medical device developer myself, uh, developed many medical devices, uh, including class three implantable uh, pulse generators, like deep brain stimulators. And um, for the past several years, I've focused uh, my work on uh, teaching because okay. uh, risk management has always been my core uh, competency, both from aerospace and the medical device industry. And so several years ago, my colleagues wanted me to help them. And so I started teaching small courses and then gradually grew it bigger and bigger and teaching universities. And then I wrote a book. And so yeah, now uh, that's pretty much all I do. I, I teach uh, risk management uh, for, for medical devices and I uh, advise people on, on that. Great. So uh, as we said about risk management, so risk management is really a big, big topic. There are many branches, if I can say that uh, we can see on it. Uh, we wanted really to go specifically on risk management for software. So that's uh, why mainly because also software is starting to be a, a booming area within the medical device field. So we have a lot of companies that are now starting to develop some software. Software are also having a higher classification now within the European Union for uh, when it's for medical devices. So I think this kind of topic can be really uh, interesting for a lot of people that are now coming and asking, okay, how should I do a risk management, not for hardware, but for software. So um, Bijan, as, as you know, mainly how risk management is done also for software, what are the challenges that you see about this field, also the software field and the risk management field? Well, um, specifically, um, risk management for software is uh, 
can be looked at in two different areas, uh, either software as embedded software uh, in a medical device, which is sometimes called SIMD, or software as a medical device, or SAMD. Um, so, but uh, in either case, uh, they are governed by um, ISO 14971, particularly with respect to um, SAMDs, because SAMDs are also medical devices. Uh, and, and I know that was uh, an area of focus that you wanted to uh, state talk about. Um, some of the main challenges with uh, SAMDs uh, is that because they are nimble, they're small software packages, uh, they can be developed rapidly. Okay. And this rapidity is both an advantage and a disadvantage. Uh, the disadvantage is that all these frequent changes means that your risk management has to be updated frequently. Unlike hardware, which is a slow process, it takes years. Software can maybe within a week or two, you can have another version and another version. So risk management becomes a challenge. Uh, another thing uh, about software, particularly SAMD, uh, is that it's the environment which the software operates. So SAMDs operate on uh, hardware and software environment. Um, so because it's a medical device, it's supposed to, uh, as, as an SAMD, it has to operate on a general purpose computing platform. Um, and this let's say, could be a smartphone or another computer. And in this domain, you have a, a software like an operating system, which uh, is the context in which the SAMD operates, and also you have hardware, so then this the microprocessor, etc. And then you have also other applications that are surrounding you that are operating the same operating system at the same time. So this is one of the challenges for the SAMDs is that um, it's not just your software. It's the, the, the operating system can, can shift and change. The hardware can change. You need to continue to be safe. Even the other medical applications that are present with you, they could affect you. Uh, so uh, it creates, this is one of the ch uh, challenges with the uh, risk management for SIMDs. SIMDs, of course, is it's different because then you have total control of your hardware and software. So that's, that's, a, that's a bit easier. So in, in terms of uh, the those, uh, as you said, those configurations that you just mentioned, uh, so software with the hardware also, with the OS, with the, all those things. So um, I suppose risk management is really a big advantage if you do it right then. Oh, yeah. Um, so you have to really pay attention to safety risk management from the beginning. Otherwise, uh, you may end up uh, getting yourself into a difficult situation where your device is not safe and... You, you may cause harm to other people. But some of the advantages that uh, software has is that uh, is the, it's the low cost uh, design changes. Hardware changes take time and they're more expensive, whereas software changes, you can maybe make a quick edit and change, create a new version one day. So that this is an advantage, but of course it creates that challenge too, because now you have to update your risk management. Um, another uh, advantage is uh, for sub that software has is the ability to do rapid mass distribution. Uh, yeah. So if you're uh, for field corrective actions, let's say you discover that there was a bug in your software that uh, could cause harm to your patients uh, and you want to update it, uh, instead of having to recall and send back a product, you can rapidly uh, update your software, of course, provided that your users have allowed you to do push. And update automatically, uh, but this can this can be an advantage uh, for you. Um, other advantages are uh, you can uh, have ability to monitor how your software is being used. You, you know, you can track to see are there faults that are being created, are your users making mistakes, and these things can help teach you on how to make your software better. 
So these are the advantages of software and SAMDs. So uh, in terms of risks, then um, uh, when we are looking at a hard hard uh, hardware device or uh, something that is uh, more physical, so we are looking, for example, for infections. We are looking for a sterilization process. We are looking for all those things. So what are the main drivers, if I can say, when we are specifically looking at software as medical devices here for in terms yeah. of risk management? Yeah, software uh, itself is not a hazard because software does not activate any uh, physical thing. But software, especially well, in two cases, as, a, as an SIMD, uh, uh, software can drive the hardware and then the hardware can can do the harm to the patient. But software as an SAMD, uh, it provides information. It, it doesn't do anything by itself. So it, it provides maybe advisory services to uh, a clinician. Maybe you're doing a cancer detection. So you send an image and this your software analyzes the, uh, this image and advises the physician to look at a particular area because there may be a cancerous tumor. Well, what if the software made a mistake and did not uh, notify, uh, not missed basically uh, a cancerous tumor? Well, that then it can cause harm that way. So for software, is the harm is usually indirect. It's not direct. So when we say indirect means uh, means mainly we have to, I suppose that for the SAMD, we have to understand all the functionality and all the inputs and outputs for each of those functionality. And then uh, from there, we have to identify what are the arms of each of those functionality, um, I mean, directly. So, but it's, 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 I suppose it's also a lot of brainstorming here. When we have, for example, a, a device that is for the first time on the market, we have no yeah. feedback at all. So at certain point, we will not be able to catch up any, all the risks that are available there. Yeah, uh, that's actually a very good point that you brought up. Uh, uh, when you are releasing a software for the first time, uh, you don't know how it's going to be used and users ma can make errors. Uh, and, and when I said indirect, meaning that uh, there needs to be an intermediary to cause harm to the patient, like a physician or another medical device that takes information from your SAMD and then takes action. Um, so one of the things that uh, I advise people is to make sure that not to lose sight of usability engineering, because your devices, your SAMDs, interact with human beings. The human being needs to be able to understand the information that you provide it and then be able to give you the information in a way that is correct. Uh, uh, maybe sometimes people think of SAMDs as just software and then the usability engineering is a side thought, but it really is not because SAMD is a medical device it's subject to IEC 62366. So you have to do use uh, formative studies, summative studies, uh, make sure your the information that you collect and disseminate uh, are understandable and not confusing to your users so you don't, you don't cause harm to your patients. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, so you maybe have some kind of uh, yeah, experience in terms of this risk management for uh, manufacturers. So what are some of those pitfalls that mainly they are always, yeah, th those issues that they always uh, have when they are starting to work with SAMD and also risk management? So something that, uh, yeah, is common for, for, the, for those uh, companies? Yeah, uh, one of the main pitfalls is uh, complacency. So, um, you know, one of the techniques that a lot of SAMD manufacturers use is to, to reduce their risk to the manufacturer is okay. to put the clinician in the loop. And so they say, we are going to provide you an output, but you, Mr. Clinician, 
you have to validate that this is right. So if I'm giving you something very wrong, you should tell me this is wrong, ignore it, and don't, do, don't use it, right? So this is a way to control risk. But think about the situation when your software is really good. It's giving good answers all the time. What happens is that the clinician gradually becomes habituated and over-reliant on it. So when there is a mistake, and mistakes will happen, then your clinician will not be paying attention and will just blindly accept the output of the SAMD. Um, this happens, this is human psychology, it yeah. happens all the time. Now you may have heard of, about the Tesla driver that was sleeping behind the yeah. wheel, right? If the autopilot is working well, 90% of the time they say, well, I can trust it, I go take a nap, and then get into a car crash. So but, this is one of the pitfalls. No, no, I, I completely rely on that and I completely understand. And yeah, true, as soon as you have a software and it's working very well, if there is one issue, you will maybe not catch it because you think, oh, it's fine, it's working well. So, And I know that those some companies, um, software companies, they are putting some disclosure saying any of the data that you will reserve should be verified by you, uh, otherwise they will not be it should not be accepted, etc. And if you uh, miss to do that, it's your responsibility, not our responsibility. I mean, those kind of disclosure to say yes. we are not responsible for anything you are responsible for everything so it's mainly also the the kind of issue that uh, that can happen so uh, have exactly you, have you seen a lot of issues like that also from the uh the real in the real life i can say for medical devices or something that is really rare for the moment well um i can't tell you i have had personal experience with this but i know that it happens and uh, it happens even with hardware devices but uh uh, a lot of times, uh, human beings, this is just the way our brains work, we want to take the easy path. And if the device is it looks trustworthy, we start trusting it. And then pretty soon, we just stop uh, using our own judgment and uh, just go with it. Um, so so you, yeah. you, rem you remember when you discussed about so creating risk management? So it's something that I think is critical so that we can catch up those issues earlier. Um, when we said that, yeah, we have to identify the potential arms or the, uh, or the, the or, or all those things. So mainly at a certain point to identify all this, you have to have some people, if I can say, start to do the job. So um, is the quality guy the only guy that can do that? Or should we have other people on the team that can do this exercise of identifying the harm, identifying the risks, and then uh, starting to, to work on that? Oh yeah, definitely not just a quality person. Risk management is a team activity. And really, if you ask me who should own risk management, I would say uh, systems engineering. Uh, and uh, systems engineer, of course, has the broad knowledge of how the system works, its environment, its interactions with the humans. And then besides that, uh, your quality, your medical safety, clinicians, all these people need to work together. And of course, case of software, software engineers too. Uh, so they need to work together. You can't just rely on the quality people. It happens that in most companies that I've worked at, um, quality department is the one that becomes the owner of risk management. But I think really engineering, particularly systems engineering, should be the one that should own it. Not that they're the only person that does it, but they should own it and drive it. Hey, just a second. Do you need an EU, Swiss, or UK representative? Then choose Easy Medical Device. We can represent you and also become your importer. Contact us at eo at easymedicaldevice.com. Uh, it's clear. And I, I, I have had this experience of companies that says, oh, you own the risk management, mainly because first, they, it's like an ISO standard that has to be followed. So they think, oh, we know better than 
maybe the software engineers or whoever who what exactly should be provided so at the end say oh you will own it you will take care of it and if there is any question you can ask us and we, we can help you to make it better but for them it's like a document that that uh, is belonging to the to the quality uh, department so good to yeah. hear that it's not not the best yeah. practice <laughs> that's right yeah yeah and uh, in terms of risk, so as we talked about um, software as medical devices, so we know that, um, as we said, so we have a, a growing field now with a lot of applications, mobile applications, software that are used on uh, machines without, if I can say, maybe a connection direct with a, with a, a medical device. Uh, so there we are. There are also a lot of questions in terms of cyber security, which is for me like a risk also for that, that should be also evaluated on some risk. And I have also some notified bodies that say, oh, you forgot to include some cyber security risk on your risk management. So um, what are, if I can say the, 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 is it first, is cyber security risks for software something new? Is it something that um, has changed over the time or is it something that yeah, it has a certain standard or what exactly are the rules now to execute risk management specifically for cybersecurity? Right. Uh, cybersecurity is not something new. Of course, it's been growing. The threat of cybersecurity attacks has been growing over the past few years. And uh, with respect to SAMDs, I feel that they are most vulnerable because SAMDs uh, are not in a controlled space where you know, the manufacturer uh, controls like a hardware space. They are out there in general um, computing platforms. There are other software around them that would uh, affect them. So uh, to me, SAMDs are more vulnerable with respect to cybersecurity. Um, now, cybersecurity risk management is not the same thing as safety risk management. There is an overlap, but they're not the same thing. Uh, a cybersecurity attack uh, could attack the integrity of a medical device, could attack its uh, um, availability, uh, could uh, attack the functionality of it. And in those cases, it could actually create safety risks to patients. Um, the fact, and you know, by the way, not all cybersecurity attacks are deliberate. They're not always hacks. It could be the, an attack uh, um, unintentional by another software application that is sitting next to the your software application in the general purpose computing uh, environment, and they may overwrite some of your data. And it, you know, it's not intended, but it can happen. And then that would have a, a safety effect. So I think uh, cybersecurity risk uh, is should be a, a more important area of attention for SAMDs in particular. Yeah, and and oh yeah, and you ask uh, what what uh, standards? Yes, yeah, uh, standards. standards. Yeah, um, the most prominent ones right now are uh, AB uh, TIR fifty seven, which was released in two thousand sixteen. This is uh, about medical device uh, security risk management, and then there is uh, AB TIR ninety seven, which was released in two thousand nineteen, and this one is about more post-market risk management. And of course, FDA has some guidances on uh, cybersecurity risk control too. And I, su I suppose that people that have to um, execute those standards or um, look at cybersecurity risks should be like software developers or, or people that have really a good knowledge of uh, those risks and, and what kind of thing that they should do to avoid those risks. Because yeah, we have the part where we are identifying the risks, but we have also the part where we are mitigating the risk. So we have to have also right. some people that are really specialists on that. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, there are people who are specialized in cybersecurity risk management. Um, uh, I work with them. Uh, 
we we help each other, but we do different kinds of work. Uh, and they are they're more interested in the the uh, availability, the integrity uh, of the software and the, and the devices. I'm, I'm, and I'm more interested in preventing harm to their patients. Uh, you know, for example, if you lose some private health information, uh, it may be embarrassing to a patient, but it doesn't physically harm them. Uh, so. Uh, they are trying to protect that, uh, and I'm, I'm looking at it from a safety perspective. Okay, and um, in terms of uh, uh, so risk, so as we say, so we have this uh, standard, the ISO 14971, that is mainly the big standard for for the risk management. Um, uh, first, is it something that is also accepted because you, as you are in the US, so is it something that is accepted only? I mean, uh, in a certain country, or US is also recognizing ISO 14971 for. Because in Europe we are, we have that as an harmonized standard, but is it also harmonized in the US? Is, is it like recognized in the US? It is a recognized standard. The 2019 version of ISO 14971 is a recognized standard by the FDA, um, um, but um, it's not a US standard, it's a global uh, standard. And, uh, and I think it's a very good one. ISO 14971 uh, applies to all medical devices, including SAMDs, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, and by the way, because we're talking about software, let's not forget about IEC sixty two three zero four. That's exactly. also another. Exactly. Yeah. This is this one plus, as we said, also the other one, the IEC six two three six six for the usability. So there are uh, really a bunch of software that uh, are global and uh, should be used also. Uh, but yeah, there are some some standards that are really software specific, and this is mainly uh, correct something to look at. Um, when we look now at the ISO forty nine seven one, for example. Uh, we say that we have first to do some kind of uh, um, define what are the policy for for the risk. We have to define what are the potential arms, what are the analysis of those arms to find some mitigation, etc. Those kind of things. So um, when we are, I mean, for the majority of the people that are making a risk management, what they are finding as a methodology to do that is the FMEA, so DFMEA or PFMEA, etc. So is this something that is recommended by the standard or is this or we can have the choice and do whatever we want and we can use whatever method possible? Yeah, ISO 14971 does not require you to do FMEAs. However, FMEAs are uh, uh, is one of the standard, sorry, one of the techniques that ISO 14971 suggests, uh, FMEA, but it doesn't say you have to do it. So you can do, use different techniques. But practically speaking, Almost every medical device company I've run across uses FMEA. So I'd say it's a de facto requirement, even though it's not officially required. And then uh, for software, um, it is design FMEA, but for when we apply the FMEA to software, we call it software FMEA. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and maybe, yeah, is, is FMEA also adapted to software or is there maybe another methodology that is existing that is maybe more adapted to software or, or FMEA is really something that can work for software also? Yeah, FMEA works for software. Uh, one thing I point out to is that uh, failure of software is not the same as the failure of hardware, even though we call them both failures. Software doesn't fatigue, doesn't wear out, uh, whereas hardware does. However, software can also fail to meet its objective, can fail to perform a function, and we call that failure. It's not the same thing as hardware failure causes, but uh, we can still apply FMEA to software. Um, we just call it software FMEA. 
Okay, no great. I mean, yeah, we have DFMEA for design FMEA, PFMEA for process FMEA. Then uh, I yeah. suppose they will create a lot of uh, UFMEA for user FMEA. So they they are exactly. a lot of uh, small small things just to uh, distinguish between the different uh, kind of risk, which is great because then you are really specifically having some risk for a specific area. But uh, but yeah, it's it's really uh, great here. Um, yes. In terms of uh, of uh, this kind of ISO fourteen nine seven one. Who do you recommend to be trained? Because you are training people also on that, and you have also your book on this. So, um, who are the, the 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 best people, if I can say the, or people with which prerequisites they they can come to get to get trained for for this ISO 14971, for example? Well, uh, I teach a number of courses. Uh, there's an introductory course that means you don't have any prerequisite. You can just come with knowing nothing, just learn the basics. Uh, but then there are advanced courses uh, uh, as well. Um, there is a course on uh, failure modes and effects analysis that teaches you how to do this particular technique. Also, the other techniques like fault tree analysis. Um, as far as who should be trained, I think people who are going to do the work of risk management uh, should at least those who should be trained. Um, there are people who are reviewers, they are not actually doers, but uh, they can also benefit from uh, the training because uh, if they're going to review somebody else, somebody is FMEA, if, if they know what an FMEA is and how it works, it's better for them to be able to review it. So in, in my classes, I generally have the engineers and quality and engineering groups and mechanical, electrical, software, et cetera, usability engineers, they take my classes. Uh, but also people from quality department, quite a few of them take my classes because the quality people a lot of times are the reviewers of the work that the engineers do. So they, they both need to understand it. Exactly. And when you look at the ISO 4971, it says at the beginning that it uh, should be used only or should be uh, only trained people that can use that. So you have also to show some training for that. So it's really important to get oh, trained yeah. for this kind of standard. Yeah. Right. And this is a requirement of ISO 14971 is the competency. Uh, people that do the work of risk management should be competent in doing that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, lastly, um, in terms of um, all what we discussed, I think yeah, we had really a lot of great information here. Um, what would you... Uh, give us an advice or a good practice for those that are listening today on how to execute uh, all those uh, uh, all the risk management for, for, for their company or maybe to get trained as we mentioned. So is there some kind of good practices that you maybe recommend to people when they are coming to you say, oh, what should I improve or what should I do uh, for, 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 for the risk management? Yeah, uh, again, specifically talking about uh... SAMDs, but in general for medical devices, uh, it's best to start designing your medical devices with safety in mind. Okay. It is a lot more difficult and more expensive if you don't do that and you um, finish doing your design and they say, oh, oh how, what are we going to do? It's not safe. Um, uh, because especially for software, you know, uh, well, for all companies, all startup companies, let's say they start with the idea of designing functionality. And that's enticing because we get paid for functionality, yeah. right? The safety is not what people pay money for. People pay money for functionality and they expect safety. So one of the things is about software in particular is that uh, it is exciting because you can get a quick win. You know, software engineers that want to get coding right away and make it work and, and it's pretty exciting. And, and But um, they should maybe... Uh, Control their enthusiasm uh, and, and engineer, not don't just code, but engineer, meaning that do the systems engineering, uh, concept development, voice of customer, 
uh, uh, usability engineering, do all these things, uh, all with the knowledge that you want this device to be safe from the beginning. Uh, it's much cheaper and easier and faster if you if you do that. So that's yeah. one bit of advice that I can give you. Um, no, it's great. And yeah. and uh, what is important, and I had that experience also, you you know, when we are doing those mitigation of risks, uh, there is three levels of mitigation. There is a design level, there is the alert level, and then there is the information that will be provided on the on the instruction for use. And we have at certain point uh, a possibility to do a design change if we had identified this issue really in advance. But when we have some companies that are doing risk management really at the end when the device is ready to be, if I can say, shipped. And they, oh, we miss the risk management documentation. And there we are identifying the risk and say, oh, this, we should, you should have it made the design change for that. This, you should have put an alert on your uh, software. But at the end, they are using the last mitigation, which is mainly to inform the uh, the user to not do this or to not do that or to avoid this or to avoid <laughs> that, so, which is mainly the really the poorest uh, mitigation. That's right. For that, so. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, so th thank you for all this information. I think, yeah, it's really uh, important to for people to understand that uh, software is also an area where risk management has to be done. Um, as you've said, so you are uh, providing some uh, some services. So, what kind of service? Why why people should contact you, and what kind of service you are providing to you can provide to them? Uh, my services are in two areas: uh, mainly teaching, and then also advising. Uh, I teach eight courses and medical device risk management. Uh, they range from knowledge courses, uh, which start from the introductory course to advanced courses. And then I also teach skills courses, uh, such as failure modes and effects analysis and poultry analysis. Um, so I, these courses are also all visible on my website. I have a website called medtechsafety.com. And um, I have trained over 8,000 people worldwide. And... Um, quite good results too. Um, I, I like to teach uh, practical information and also make, make learning fun. Uh, so it's uh, both enjoyable oh, and uh, knowledge and learning. And uh, can you tell us more about your book? Because you have also a book. I say, I think it's a second edition. So I think it's important to also mention that. Uh, That's correct. Have, yes. Yeah. You have a good, a good, um, good, good material that can be also helpful for people. Yes, uh, I've written a book uh, called uh, Medical uh, Device Risk Management, uh, and uh, it's been published by uh, Elsevier Publishing in London. Uh, it's in, in its second edition. Um, uh, it is a, quite a popular book. Um, my publisher tells me it's their bestseller. Um, so... Um, I like yeah, I like the book myself actually. No, no, uh, I, it's, uh, I I I I know your book because I I see it many uh, many places. People are talking also about that. So yeah, I really recommend people to to have a look at uh, this book if you are really wanting to learn and understand more about uh, risk management for for medical devices. Uh, yeah, I mean you I saw also and for people that want to look at that, uh, I saw also a preview uh, that is existing with the first chapter, so you can uh, also see that and check if the the content with the summary is also interesting for you so i think it can be a uh, great i will try to put all those information on the show notes so that uh, yeah you can uh, also but you can also reach out directly to bijan if uh, you have any any question i suppose i suppose you are also on linkedin you are okay. people can reach out to you on linkedin directly i'm sure yeah just type my name in linkedin you'll find my profile and then uh, you can contact me through linkedin or email me or my website many ways to contact me great great it's great to hear that so Bijan, really, it was a pleasure to have you. Thanks for all the information you provided, and I wish you a nice day. Thank you, Manir. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. 
So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it. And also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much.